Hello and you're very welcome on to episode 6 of the Angus to the Four podcast. On this week's episode, Owen chats to Stephen Connolly, ABP Sustainability Manager. They chat about Stephen's early days in farming, ABP, Angus genetics, meat eating quality, measuring emissions, grassland management, the ABP demo farm in Carlo, improving dairy beef genetics nationally and much more. This podcast is part of our entry into the Certified Irish Angus Beef Schools competition, sponsored by ABP and Keypack. We have been announced as one of five finalists in the competition. We will now receive five Irish Angus calves and rear them for 18 months alongside our research project. We will receive our calves at the National Ploughing Championships in Rathanishka, County Leash, next week. We are really looking forward to this event and are delighted to have reached this stage of the competition. Stay tuned till the end of this episode for further details on the ploughing. To follow our project to date, access to our innovative bullfinder, videos, new podcast episodes, news and much more, visit angustothefore.com. Now for Owen's chat with Stephen. Hi Stephen, thanks for joining me on the podcast, I hope you're keeping well. I'm good, thanks Owen, it's a, it's a fairly miserable evening, I'm glad I'm inside doing this than, than outside doing a bit of farming, if I'm honest. That's for sure. Uh, before we discuss your role as farm manager at the ABP Demo Farm, Stephen, could you introduce us to yourself uh, and your whereabouts and then I suppose your earliest interest in agriculture? Yes, no, no issue. I suppose, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a meat man. Um, grew up on, a, on a, a farm. It was a mixed enterprise we had. So we were dairying uh, up until 2008, um, bringing all our cattle to stores. Uh, we used to run a, a flock of yos as well. And um, and we also did a bit of contracting, like so, uh, a good a good mix, like sort of. So uh, I suppose ever since I was uh, young, I was always interested interested in genetics. Would have bred up our dairy herd to pedigree status. Would have always picked the bulls. I suppose always had a keen interest, even on the beef side of things. We'd always buy a really good bull. Uh, we like to breed good calves, whether it be to sell at stores or or as calves, like so. Always had a huge interest in breeding and, and farming, uh, you know, from a very, very young age. Uh, you know, starting off, you're standing up in a bucket trying to try to milk the cows. Uh, your mum, mum, mightn't be too happy with dad for that, like so it is. But uh, she loved, we just we loved it. So yeah, that's that's where it was. And uh, I suppose from there, uh, I decided to, to go into ag- agriculture, and I studied ag science in. Uh, in UCD, uh, where I graduated in 2013, um, I did ACP. It was the best thing I ever did. Met great people, great uh, great people. Uh, it was a great education and uh, great fun as well. Like so, so yeah, it was. Uh, so I think that's a bit of background on myself. Brilliant, yeah. And just take us back to your own farm, Stephen. You're saying um, about your farming system. I suppose you mentioned dairy farming there. Yeah, I think it was 2008 you said the change came about. What were the, the reasons for that? And then, I suppose, to bring us to now, what's what's on the farm at the minute? Yeah, so look, 2008 was on, and look, just we love cows at home. We had very good cows. And look, we lost a bit of land we'd rented beside us. And, and look, Dad was, you no, know, he never liked going back a number. He was always building numbers. And, and I suppose that's why he decided that he, he wouldn't like to go back. So we need to win suckers. We were eating sucker cows. And uh, we used to you know, try and breed a good one. You know, we'd have a good limousine, a good Charlie, and we'd always sell at Wienlands. And you know, we got a few rosettes in Tullamore down the years, like which was was great, like sort of. So um, to be fair, Dad had a good eye for for buying good cattle, like sort of. So um, and I suppose from there, I, I start. I set up about farming myself. Uh, a good few years ago, I rented land. 
Um, and uh, I suppose currently would be, we'll say I have Pedigree Blue Texel and Dutch Spotted Sheep. And I have a commercial flock, John Lamb and Patrick's Day, trying to get most of them lambed in 10 days, you know, to combine with work. And then uh, I'd be finishing them, you know, finishing them kind of from, from July on, like, so, so uh you know, and then also I run a, a suckler herd there, so the small suckler herd try to breed the uh, the good quality uh, kind of. So everyone trying to do that, you know, the nice shapely heifers and a bit of roan colour to them. Um, I just you know, I'd always be in, just mad interest in picking the right bulls from the, uh, for the cows, and uh, you know, it's a bit of a it's a hobby like so this, but just uh, really enjoy it. Then just I suppose before we we talk about ABP. Could you let us know if any other roles you had within the agricultural industry after graduating from college? Yeah, so look, I suppose where I suppose finished college in what, 2013 and um, I was very lucky, I suppose, to get offered uh, offer a chance to work with, with ABP. Um, and part of that was uh, was a research element. So I would have done a, a master's um, as part of my job um, in 2013, looking at genetics. So I was basically validating the terminal index. Did it work? As in, did the animals of high index make more money for the farmer? That was ultimately the first question. And, and the second question was to look at you know, the, the impact on, on the carcass you know, in terms of you know how meat, how much meat from the high index animals versus the low. Like so, it was a great it was a great education. Um, so, but I suppose look, um, what I did, I actually started in Clonus. Uh, I started in the factory. Um, I started on I started on a Monday morning and I was down in the Lyridge. Uh, so I did think after four years of college, think, oh Jesus, will I ever hack this? But it was a great experience because, for starters, I got to meet the farmers. I got to, I suppose, learn to upgrade the cattle, to their fat scores, uh, test myself. Um, it was great. It was great to meet the farmers and talk to them and learn about what they were doing. And I suppose when I went on through the research, um, I could look at my data and I could see right, you know, based on what I've seen on the factory or I've seen in the layerage or in the kill floor, I could know if data was wrong, you know, carcass weights were completely out or you know, data just didn't look right. So it was a huge benefit to me, like you know, being there, um, learning the ropes like from, from the layerage right up through the through the system like so does for for let's say when when I went to um when I went to uh, do my, my research and I suppose within that I suppose uh, with ABP I would have started work with blade farming where we'd rear uh, predominantly Angus and Hereford calves um, in a calf a calf rearing system and sell to farmers at weaning um, and in 2015 we we, we set up our, our trial farm which which I would have managed so that was a, a really exciting role loved it. And um, I actually left ABP in 2019. Um, I went to work with Progress Genetics, uh, another good company, uh, as milk recording manager. Great education. Uh, I learned how the how the dairy side and everything. So I learned a lot there. Um, and I suppose uh, it was the middle of COVID and everything. And, and look, I always loved working with ABP. They're a good company to work for. And uh, I suppose the opportunity as uh, Agri Sustainability Manager for Ireland Poland came along in 2021. And uh, I'm glad I, I took it like sodas and I suppose I'm here ever ever since. Very good, yeah, a lot happened in a couple of years there. I suppose move on, just maybe tell us uh I suppose explain to us ABP and uh, more specifically uh, the demo farm and its purpose and I suppose what's going on there at the minute, Stephen. 
Yeah, so look, um, ABP, look, we're one of the largest beef processors in, in Europe. Um, but And also we're one of the largest uh, lamb processors with ICM. Um, and I suppose other things that people don't know about ABP, and I suppose what makes ABP such an attractive place to work for, there's massive opportunities, like whether it be we also, you know, we're a very large player in pet food, uh, we have a renewables division, so you know, there's, there's massive opportunities within within ABP, like, so it's uh, just such a big company. Um, in terms of the demo farm, so why would ABP have a demo farm? Um, so in at the end of in 2015 quotas uh, were to be abolished and what we seen as a company was would say the, this was the carcass confirmation of the beef cattle comes the dairy herd was was disimproving and these animals were getting slightly just slightly older and Joe, that was having negative impacts on on our farmers first of all Joe, they mightn't have been qualifying for all their bonuses uh, it was having an impact on Joe, their profitability we wanted to understand you know, which quotas uh, being abolished. We knew we were going to get more beef from the dairy herd. And we want to understand how that would impact our, our suppliers, uh, us as a processor, and also our customers. So that was the reason we set up the trial farm. And I suppose that was in 20, yeah, 20, it's a long time ago now, 2015, like so. So I suppose a key element of that was animal breeding and genetics. Um at the time, there was on the dairy herd, your cows being sold at whatever two, three weeks of age. Uh, if we take Angus, for example, you know, the selection process was used the easiest calving, shortest gestation beef bulls possible. So we know what happened when I suppose single single trade selection happened on the dairy side some years ago, uh, selecting for milk only, uh, and fertility fell off a cliff. Uh, and thanks to EBI, you know, that has changed that. We now have fertile cows junk with also high milk solids so yeah there was junk, these these beef these beef cows from the dairy herd junk they were coming from these bulls or really easy calving real church station for very poor, very poor beef traits so in collaboration with icebf and chagas uh, we set up the, the gene ireland dairy beef program which is a program to to identify the most profitable beef bulls for crossing on the dairy herd so that they did have easy calving, short gestation, which is really important for the dairy farmer and welfare, and uh, that the good carcass performance for the beef farmer, Joe, he, he, he got as much carcass weight as possible, he you know, met the carcass specs to get his bonuses, and and then also that you know, for our customer that they had a low carbon footprint and also had a high eating quality like so so that was a huge part of the of why we set up the set up the farm like so so um, as how the program works on is um, I suppose ICBF identified the most suitable beef bulls and AI for crossing on the dairy herd uh, they, they work with the leading AI companies whether it be uh, Progressive Genetics Munster uh, Eurogene uh, Dove um, so, so we're getting a lot of a lot of buy-in from, from industry um, semen is distributed out to dairy farmers they must record insemination date, they must record you know, when the calf is born, do they birth, the calving difficulty, the sire. And what we do is we buy back a proportion of calves onto the trial farm at about three weeks of age. So roughly we buy 20 calves from every, from every bull and we monitor the performance from arrival on farm or from birth right through to finish. So we're recording weekends every month 
health incidence, uh, we're measuring feed intake and totally, so how much feed it takes from that kilo of gain, um, we're measuring methane emissions on these animals, and then we're getting all the carcass the carcass data. So I so the animal breeding is a, is a huge focus for what we're doing on the trial farm. Yeah, and I suppose to dig deeper into what's going on, could you just, you're mentioning the type of stock, but then I suppose maybe just the life cycle of, of the animals in terms of the age they, they enter the farm at, um, some of the key events right through, and then the age at finishing that, I suppose, certain goals that are set on the farm. Yeah, so I suppose we buy 20 cows in, steers and heifers uh, per bull. We buy, the system is we buy 400 cows a year, okay? Um, we finish our heifers at 19 months and our steers at 21. Uh, and it's important to say, because it's a trial loan, like we buy the good, the bad and the ugly. We don't buy all the best calves because the trial you have to, you know, you have to, you want an accurate trial or a robust trial, so you buy the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, finish our heifers at about last year, they were slightly lighter because of the weather. Uh, they were 275 kilos average, and our steers were just short of 325 kilos, like, which is you know, really good performance, and that's an average across all the different all the different breeds. Like, so it's, so it's a, I suppose, it's a system where we, you know, we try and aim to get your calf in at three weeks. He's about six weeks on microplacer. Wean them when like to get them clo- eating close to two kilos a day. Um, out to grass then for the first season of grass. Um, we would start them off on two kilos of ration uh, concentrates uh, for the first couple of weeks that are out of grass. So you need to get their stomachs right. Uh, and then we'd wean them back down to a kilo right through the summer. Um, house them in, in November. Um, that's lucky. We've got really dry land. Um, and so target, last year we actually averaged our weanlings in the first winter of over a kilo a day, uh, which was really good performance. Like, so it was um, aimed to get them out to grass you know, as quick as possible, hopefully in February, these weanlings. And throughout that second grazing season, you'd like to be getting you know, 0.9, 0.9 of a kilo a day uh, up until mid-August, where we'd introduce concentrates to the heifers uh, and try and finish them when they get a fat score of three. And then we'd introduce concentrates to the steers around the 1st of September. And again, we'd build them up onto, they're probably built onto seven kilos of concentrates and we'd finish them as soon as they get a fat score, a fat score three. Like, so look, it's a very simple system. Um, we don't do that now with the ordinary, um, but it's just, you know, I suppose, how we hit them targets is good animal health, you know, good calf rearing, good nutrition, good grassland management. Like, so it's, there's, no, there's no silver bullet to it. Like, so it's, it's all the get the basic right, but sometimes it's hard to put all them to, together. Yeah, definitely a good system and very simple and easy to follow for the general farming community. Um, also, Stephen, what breeds are being trialled on the farm? Yeah, so we've uh, we've adopted Angus Hereford. We also have we have some Belgian Blues. We have some Aubracks. Uh, we have some Frisians. Um, we had a few stabilizers, so we have a number of different breeds. And, and uh, look, I suppose it probably brings into results. I'm sure, Owen, you might want to know a few results in the farm that might be of interest to you, would it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, whether we get to that so, now or later, up to you, Stephen. Yeah, so yeah. I suppose if you look at in the Angus breed, what we have what we have seen is that with the same age, we can get, if we were buying cows from, uh, from a, the good bull in AI versus the, the poor bull in AI, uh, at the same age, we can get 46 kilos more carcass weight within the Angus breed, yeah. like, which is yeah. well over 200 euros, which 
you know, for any dairy calf to beef system is is huge in terms of profitability and it really highlights when as a as a beef farmer that's buying calves, genetics is so important. And uh, the day you buy is the day you sell. So getting that calf and the right genetics can really add value to your system. Yeah, and what a difference from just picking bull A over bull B, I suppose, at the end of the day and on the same system and Stephen that's a figure like in the group here we've kind of used a lot and referred to it a lot like in our research um, which has been brilliant I, I suppose then just to talk more and you, you explain to some extent the bulls um, the calves are sired by just um, can I ask are, are they the Gene Ireland bulls or any variety of bulls Stephen? Yeah, they're they're predominantly the bulls in the Gene Ireland program. So these are young bulls. They're they're unproven um, bulls, and I suppose this progeny test what it what it does is it it gathers a lot of data quick. I think that's the big thing, you know, that you can get a, an accurate, for example, calving figure or gestation, which you know is the first thing. If there's a bull it turns out to be hard calving, when you don't want him to be widely used, so you know he won't go into the breeding program next year, uh, or into the you know won't be widely used. So I suppose it's gathering data and look like to give an example. We've over seventy thousand lightweights uh, since we started. Like so, you know, there's lots and lots of data. Uh, with over 4,000 animals put through the program like so and, and every month we share that data with ICBF you know it's important like we, we want that it goes into the evaluations and, and you know, all the carcass data all the weight data um, and look even this year to give you a little bit of a flavour we've uh, what bulls we've there like we've um, one bull AA6331 he's deal a shotgun like his cattle is at the minute we're averaging 500 kilos you know uh, like he is on genetics. He's a good bull. If you look at his carcass figure, he's plus thirteen kilos. Um, whereas I suppose Gabriel Poundman probably is um, probably the, the lightest Angus is at the minute. They're four sixty eight. Again, still just still a good weight for their age, like so it is. But if you look at his genetics, he's only what two point eight kilos for carcass, like so. Um, look, we're seeing massive differences this year within you know within the genetics. Like, so I suppose the hope is you know, we want to use, when we identify the best the best pedigree bulls in AI, you know, we'd love to get them using stock bulls to breed better stock bulls, uh, to breed more cows, these better genetic merit calves. And the second point is we you know, we'd love for more the dairy farmers you know, to 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 use if it's an Angus, use the very best Angus, you know, with good carcasses. At least it gives you know, it gives the, the beef farmer the pension to make uh, to make a uh, you know, some extra carcass value and also create a calf that has a higher I suppose is more marketable for the dairy farmer that he has, you know, a number of, of beef farmers and neighbours maybe coming in to buy his calves because he's you know, he's a good cow type, he's used the right genetics, he's given the colostrum like so it, it look it's it's really, really important that whole uh, genetic side of things for their dairy beef. Yeah, and it's it's brilliant to see the like of that carcass weight actually is kind of filtering through and you can see it in performance of, you know, these bulls progeny, um, along with all other ICBF evaluations. Just wanna backtrack slightly and you mentioned um colostrum and kind of care from the dairy farmer there. Could I just ask on the demo farm, what type of a dairy cow are these cows born from? Are you picky and choosy about a, a good cow or are all I suppose dairy breeds being trialled and maybe any other selection criteria uh, from the, the, the cows being being uh, purchased? I suppose there's probably there's probably two 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 parts of this. I suppose on the on the, the demo farm, 
I suppose it's important to get a mix of different cow types. Okay, so we would have you know, your, your typical 50-50 British Friesian you know, Holstein cow. We'd have your high EBI cow. But we'd also have crossbreds, uh, crossbred cows. Like, so because, look, again, you have to see which bulls work well or which type of cow. Like, and, and look, that's the mix of cow that's out there. So uh, we would, we would, what we do is we'd say we would put in a number of different uh, beef bulls into each dairy herd. And we'd be buying back you know, a proportion of, of calves across a number of herds. So we get to, you know, we get a mix of different cow types, and that you know, that's important that we don't, you know, we don't uh, distort the results. Like if you if you think about it, you put all of one bull into a, a really good cow type, and all of the other bull into a crossbred cow, you could distort your results and be a bit unfair. So we'd like to put a number, of, so the balance of the of semen across a number of different cow types. So, but as a farmer, if I'm buying calves, the cow t- the cow type is hugely important. So you need there's only fifty percent of genetics, so you need to buy in from a, a dairy farmer that has a good cow type. Do you know that uh, that she has a, a reasonable maintenance figure, and um, that she do you know she is a do you, know, you don't you want a cow that has a reasonable size and frame, um, and um, and that could be your British region fifty fifty that I know a lot of people love, but there's not as many of them as there used to be, and um, so getting. The farmer with a good type, cow type is the first thing. Then use your best genetics, and then which is so important is is the colostrum because you're getting that that three liters of colostrum into that calf like that's the huge thing because if the calf doesn't get that colostrum, are they going to realize their potential if they get sick? Which is true, which they're not like. So, um, you can have the best genetics in the world, but we can we can we can ruin it uh, without having that a healthy calf like so the, the colostrum management is so 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 important like so it is yeah definitely i suppose there's the bit of advice going to the dairy farmer and the, the beef farmer um picking out his calves just next um i suppose all breeds seem to be performing best but i take it there's considerable difference differences um you know within breeds you mentioned it there with the 46 kilos um, is this also seen in other aspects, Theo? Yeah, so, like, so that's in terms of carcass and, and carcass weight. But, but yeah, you could see a huge rate. If you look at feed in, for example, we see massive differences within within breeds. If we look at meat eating quality, uh, which is the work ICBF do, you know, there's there's good and bad, good and bad within within all the breeds like so there's, there's probably as much variation within a breed as across a breed like so and i know we all get quite fixated by breeds we all have our favorites so as I, I won't mention which your favorite is on um but like um so yeah it's huge a difference feed efficiency is another big one if you look within the angus uh, that we've you know, trialed in totally like they're some progeny from probably the the most efficient uh, sires or probably from the least efficient could have to eat you know, over two kilos more feed to put on the kilo again. And so that's that's something as farmers we don't see. Like we, we could have a super looking animal, um, but he could be eating us out of house and home like sort of. So that feed intake data you know, is, is hugely important and there's massive, massive variation sort of. Huge. Yeah, you you just touched on meat eating quality, uh, Stephen. I'm aware there is trials undergoing on on meat eating quality. Could you explain to us how such trials are carried out, and maybe some of the findings in these trials? You know, 
what kind of the again the within breed variation and how does maybe diet affect um meat eating quality too well i wouldn't have all the facts on it um but we can definitely find it out here but yeah look i suppose what one thing there is is a, a meat eating quality index which icbf would have and you know, there's a number of bulls that have that index that, that ranks them on meat eating quality so it's tenderness juiciness and flavor uh, and they found huge variation uh, within the breeds and also across the breeds. Like, so that's an, I noticed some published data there to show that you know, the Angus comes out very strong in that, uh, on average, um, um, which is which is very positive for, 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 for Angus. Um, but again, there's still you know, there's certain Angus sires that have a really good eating quality experience, and then there's certain sires that probably have a poor one, like Zoda. So, so we're very lucky to have an ICBF. I think we're just nowhere else in the world that has, has it. So whether it be the eating quality uh, data, whether it be the, you know, the, the methane data, um, we're, as an industry, as a beef and dairy industry, we're, we're very lucky to have them, like that, and we're, we're delighted to work with them. Yeah, and... I suppose moving on to just a different topic, Stephen, um, we paid a, vi- a visit to the demo farm in August and something that I suppose caught my eye was um, technologies used to measure methane and the, um, the cattle. Uh, I suppose maybe you could explain this to us and, and the benefits and impacts they're having to date. No, no issue on. So yeah, look, we're 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 very lucky to uh, we're very lucky to have uh, two green feeds on our on our demo farm, and um, I suppose we're in a, a, a program in collaboration with um, with Meat Technology Ireland, uh, which involves uh, Chagas, uh, ourselves, and a number of different stakeholders, and why what these green feeds are they're basically a machine that can measure how much methane um, animals are producing uh, per day or per hour uh, or using the data we can get a you know, a, life, uh, a lifetime how much methane is produced so um, basically the animal uh, will have uh, an EID reader in its ear uh, we have these machines and uh, out that we put them place them out in the field and uh, there's a hopper on it uh, that's filled with some concentrates and uh, basically the animal will go up to the machine um, the EID reader will read the tag and what it does is a, a drop of feed 30 grams drops down into the down into the little little feeder from the hopper and while the animal is eating um, the feed it's capturing its breath and about 90 95% of the methane comes from from their mouth uh, people might think it's from the other end um, and basically the aim is you basically you have to try and keep the animal in there for three minutes, and during that period it's it's sucking up its breath and it's uh, capturing basically it's it's methane, how much methane it's producing, um, and what what that we're trying to do is can we identify can we identify certain genetics, certain sires that can produce cattle that have a lower methane emissions that will allow us meet our target or national target of a twenty five percent reduction. And I suppose the second part is, can we get the full life cycle of the animals? So what we're looking at, measuring methane, you know, it's the, the calf's first season of grass, it's first winter, uh, it's second season of grass, and it's finishing period. So I suppose it gives us data you know, to show you know, where our breeding policy should go, where our indexes should go, and also show, are we making improvements uh, or not? Like So... Um, 
John, it's it's really interesting, really interesting data. We've no results yet from it. Uh, we will have uh, in the next couple of months. Um, but again, so we can't do it alone. It's, it is in collaboration, and but we are delighted to to have them there. They are a tricky machine to, to work. And in fairness, um, the guys on the farm, and uh, the the one who manages the farm, and Sean Maher, uh, in fairness, does they do all the all the work with these, um, and also Kieran and ICF to do a great job managing and working them. So I have very very little to, to do about them. They're uh, they're the experts, and, and I have to admit we're so you know, we're very lucky to have good people managing them. Very good. Um, and I suppose in the papers, maybe over the summer, um, and you know, agricultural articles in general, we've heard a lot about limousine being um, a low emission breed. I know maybe you're saying there's not exactly research back on this yet. Um, but to expand on that, like uh, with the limousine, maybe being lower emitting um, than let's use an example of, of an Angus with slightly higher emissions but being able to finish at an earlier age is that also you know a big part or, or element of it too Stephen? Yeah no Jesus uh, you're trying to get me in trouble here now Owen like so yeah but uh, yeah look that, that data came out and it, it's true but again that is during the finishing period like so it's mostly just finishing data so it is on a, on a concentrate diet um, and I suppose that's that's driving mainly being driven by feed efficiency, your feed intake and feed efficiency. Like, and, and the limousines are a very, on average, a very feed efficient breed. But you're right, I think, and, and that's what this data is going to give. Like, so as if we, if we look at the traditional breeds, you know, maybe are finished more on grass. Um, they're uh, they potentially over their lifetime because they're younger because maybe they're finished off grass. You know, they potentially could have a lower methane emission. So I think in terms of the full story, we probably can't do much on that. But again, the data from these green feeds, you know, the data from the trial farm, the data from Tully, you know, will 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 give us that. But um, look, I suppose it's important to say we want the best within every breed, like so. Does. But um, look, the methane stuff—it's it's a moving feast at the minute. But uh, I think over the next you know year to six months, I'm sure we'll have a lot more data. Um, to make you know, make you know, very important decisions um, on on breeds and genetics like going forward. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see how that all pans out. Just to move on and maybe mention grassland management. I know it's definitely something going on on the farm there too, along with everything else. Just how important is grassland management on the farm, and what grassland, I suppose, measures are being taken on the farm to increase sustainability. Yeah, so look, um, to me, grass is just the, one of the most important things to get right on, on any farm. Uh, and it's it's probably one of the hardest things. Um, so look, I suppose that the farm I suppose we have in Carlo, uh, so the first thing it was previously a tillage farm. Uh, so we had to start from scratch. Um, we would have put in a, a good paddock system. You know, typically, three days in the paddock, move them on. Um we would have receded the whole farm uh, and we would have incorporated clover into the farm like so. So, um, and last year, and last year was a, a tough year for drought and everything. We grew about 10 tonnes. Um, this year, we'll probably grow a little bit more. Uh, probably the peak year, we grew 12. But to be honest with you, we could grow more grass if we wanted to, but we. So we don't need to grow what we need to what we need to, to supply our animals. So, um, I suppose, look. What we aim to do on the farm going forward is to reduce our fertilizer usage. 
and that means more incorporation of clover. Um, the other thing which we've done over the last couple of years is we've incorporated red clover into our silage ground. Um, so basically we are, we've receded a proportion of our, our silage ground with red clover silage. Uh, it, it gets no fertilizer, only slurry. And uh, what that does is it reduces our cost of fertilizer, reduce our usage, reduce our carbon footprint. But it also gives us a super quality feed uh, to, to feed our, our weanlings during the, the winter period. Like, So we did a trial where we, we actually compared um, one shed of weanlings, about 120, with a, a red clover silage and a reduced uh, protein concentrate uh, versus the traditional silage you would have on the farm with a higher concentrate, a higher protein content. And we found we got, with, with, a, with a lower protein concentrate, we got higher performance of our animals. Um, which which tells us like how how important getting good quality and incorporating red clover silage into into the system. I suppose what also we're looking at is uh, multi species swords. Again, looking at the results from from, from UCD, it, it blew you away. Like they are uh, when they compare their cattle that are grazing the multi species swart versus a typical ryegrass only swart, the animals are thirty five days younger. Um, they are um, provided younger. They're growing two tons more grass uh, per hectare, with sixty percent less fertilizer, which is a massive win. And uh, in terms of emissions, they're fourteen percent lower uh, emissions from the animals grazing the multi-species versus uh, versus the, the typical perennial ryegrass. So, like the use of Joe multi-species, and again, it might not be for everyone. Uh, we feel Joe, it's something that will add to add to what we're what we're doing on the farm. Like so, we've we've recently started to incorporate that in. So we're we're looking forward to see how how that how that goes. Like so it is, and I look what I'd say from a personal point of view. I've put it on my own farm, and I'm finishing my lambs off it, and I I couldn't but be impressed with how it's going. But look, we'll have to see. Time, time will tell. I'm sure weeds might be might become an issue, but we'll have to deal with that. But again, everything's all things always change. Um, so we have to look to try new things. And, and definitely, if you can reduce your fertilizer by that amount, it has a huge impact in your in your pocket, but also in the the carbon footprint of our beef. And, and ultimately, that's what we want to get to. We want to showcase how farmers can farm more efficiently, reduce their costs. And, and ultimately, you know, meet our twenty-five percent reduction target, like so. So that's we feel that it's another, I suppose, another part. I can play a part in that. Yeah, it's brilliant to hear how well that's going, especially the red cl- clover, and um, you know the results to back it. And I suppose we're going to hear more about the multi-species maybe in years to come. Um, just you did mention weeds, and that's probably the farmer's big question at the minute. I have heard of, I suppose, dung beetles um, being trialed on the farm, like. Is that something or is there other measures or, or what do you think can be used to tackle yeah, such problems? Yeah, doctor, doc beetles, these little green beetles. Yes, yeah, so we tried them last year. Again, I think people thought we were mad on if I'm honest with you. Like, so uh, again, um, I suppose we, we found out this guy who was doing the, using the Louis that was basically developing his doc beetle, um, it, which is a native to Ireland. Uh, and what I'd say to you, if your if your mother has uh, has rhubarb, keep them away from it because I think they eat it. Um, so yeah, we did a trial last year to see look, we'd one field with a lot of docs in it, and we're saying could we you know, could we use the, the doc beetle? 
and um, and see Jock, you know, that we wouldn't have to spray and Jock keep our keep our clover. Um, so yeah, we did that trial. It's still ongoing. It, it's probably a bit hit and miss if I'm honest with you on on our farm. Maybe we're, you know, maybe we're grazing, you know, we're grazing a bit more. Joe, on that farm compared to some other farms, um, my neighbour has it, and I actually seen them in the spring, and they're working really well there. Joe, they're absolutely shredding the docks, sort of. So, I suppose it's a thing that will work for some people and not for others, but um, you have to try new things, like sort of. And, and look, I, I couldn't believe the interest of farmers from this dock beetle. The amount of phone calls we got that was interested in it because they're a massive problem on farm. Um, so how do you how do you kill them first of all? You spray them, they grow back, they have really deep roots. Uh, so even so regarding your clover, it's a killer having so if you use your clover safe, sometimes it can be it can't might be that very effective on the docks. So it's um there was huge interest in the farmers like but uh I suppose what we probably have found, I suppose if you're going receding, um, if you can if you can spray off that, if you can try and try and reduce the dock docks on the on the swart maybe in the, the year before you recede, and then when you're spraying off the land before receding, if you can leave it two to three weeks that the you know that the spray the roundups gets well down into the roots of the dock because they're so long, it can help uh, reduce the impact after the the recede, but they're. It is a big challenge, Joe, when you're trying to incorporate clovers or, or multi-species uh, into the into the swart like sodas. But look, fingers crossed, maybe someone else, uh, either the dock beetles or something else, might uh, might crop up to try and uh, counteract them. Yeah, uh, I suppose moving on to uh, final topic, Stephen. Um, I say uh, improving dairy beef genetics nationally. I suppose, could you give us maybe what advice is going out firstly to the dairy farmers and also um, calf to beef farmers in terms of improving the beef we produce uh, from both a quality and environmental aspect? I suppose in this, I take it you might maybe include the ICBF Eurostar traits that are most important to be looking at. Yeah, look, I suppose first of all I'd say is... Uh, and you can you can uh, agree to this one. We're all beef farmers. Uh, whether as a dairy farmer, <laughs> we admit it or not, we're all beef farmers. We all produce beef, um, and we all need to work together. John, with that target of twenty five percent, it's a it's a national target. It's it's for dairy, beef, tillage, sheep, everything. So we all need to work work together and play our part. Um, and again, I think sometimes there is a bit of disconnect there, like sort of so between dairy and beef, like so. I suppose there needs to be more integration, and I suppose so. If we look from an ABP point of view, so looking out nationally, I suppose there needs to be more integration, and the likes of, let's say, the Advantage Beef Program is one of them to try and link dairy and beef farmers together. So I suppose what I'd recommend to dairy farmers is they use a bull that will say is high on the DBI. Okay, that's the first one. Use the bull on high in the DBI, but it's important to drill down into it. When you're selecting your bull, you look at the DBI, but you look at the beef sub-index. Because you don't want to be using bulls that have a high DBI, but it's based on their calving and not their beef traits. So I'd use use the bull with the calving difficulty they're comfortable with, and then use the highest carcass, the highest beef sub-index bull possible with a good carcass figure, like the dealer shotgun at plus 13. John, you'd like to be using John well above breed average uh, if you're using an Angus, for example. Um, 
and and I suppose look for the for the beef farmer. He needs to ask the question. And look, the CBV is coming. It's there. Uh, there's a national geotyping program which I'd recommend everyone to join. That's going to make it easier for beef farmers to, I suppose, identify the calves that have the highest genetic merit, uh, whether they're buying them direct from farm or in marts. Uh, so I think that's going to be a huge help. Um, so I think the national geotyping making that that genetic merit available to the beef farmer will have a huge impact. But beef farmers need to ask the question, you know, what is genetics, Joe? And when they're going in to make a decision to buy calves, they should pay pay accordingly. I think that's really important. But I suppose until now they probably hadn't you know, access to that data. Um, so I think that will make it a bit easier. We need more collaboration, as in you know, when the dairy farmer selecting his bulls, and and that's something we tried to do uh, last year. We we distributed out over two thousand doses of uh, beef semen to dairy farmers. That was you know, easy calf and shorter station with good beef treads. And we're going to now link them up to to be farmers like so that they will, you know, <coughs> have a good cow type. They're giving the calf colostrum, the good housing, and you know, the bee farmer then will be able to you know, make best use of a of a good hygienic merit calf like so that. So I think that's that's really you know, things like that is really really important like so that. And I suppose look within the advantage program we're paying a, a twenty cent bonus. Uh, and one part of that is the calves, uh, whether from a suckler herd or the dairy herd, they must be of a minimum genetic merit standard. So again, that's a positive job. It's positive for the beef farmer because he can he can uh, add value to his animals. Uh, he's been rewarded. Um, and I suppose, look, it probably creates that, that link between the dairy and beef farmer that, you if, if the dairy farmer used the right genetics... Uh, we'll say Doe Blogs or Stephen Connolly will come and buy my cows because they're in the Advantage programme. Like, so we, we really need to work together and look, we, we do need to push the National Geotech programme. It, it, it's, it is very, very important. Yeah, and look, I think we'll, we'll wrap up on that note, Stephen. I just want to say thanks very much for chatting to me here on the podcast this evening. And I look forward to seeing you hopefully next week at the Ploughing, Stephen. No, listen, that's great, Owen. Thanks for, thanks for having me, yeah. That's all we've time for on this week's episode of the Angus to the Four podcast. If you'd like to find out more information about what was discussed in this interview, visit abpfoodgroup.com or on any of their social media pages. As mentioned earlier in this episode, we are now one of five finalists in the Certified Irish Angus Beef Schools competition, sponsored by ABP and Keepback. We'll receive five Irish Angus calves at the National Ploughing Championships next week. We'll be at the Certified Irish Angus Stand for the three days. The stand is located in the Livestock Area, Block 4, Row 6, Stand 108. We're really looking forward to this event and hope to meet many of you, our listeners, at the stand. To follow our project to date, access to our innovative bullfinder, videos, new podcast episodes, news and much more, visit angustothefore.com. Thanks very much for listening and we will see you back here soon.